children are going out to children's church and excited about it. Excited about it. Well, thank you, choir. And it's good to hear the old song. I love the old songs. They have a gospel message to them. A lot of times we we sing songs today and they sing a lot of these 7-Eleven songs. You say the same seven words 11 times. And, and they don't mean anything. So I'm good to hear the, the old songs that have a good message about the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how He bought me and He saved me. Uh, and, and then we sang a song earlier about how that He's done that and one day we look for that day that we will be with Him. Uh, just great songs. And it goes right along with my message today. Even though I and Paula have not even spoke uh, many of the songs this morning are just right on point with what I believe God's laid on my heart. Now, with that said, I am probably going to bring you or tell you some things today or bring a message today. I've been here for a little over five years. It's, to me, is probably the most important message that I could ever tell you. Nothing more important. So I'm going to ask you this morning... But as the old teacher used to say in school, put on your thinking caps. It's not a new message. It's not something way out there that I just found out. It's probably not something that you've never heard before. But it's something that I want you to have crystal clear in your mind. And if you've got it crystal clear in your mind, then I hope you can learn for this so you can help others have it crystal clear in their mind. The uh, Lord has laid this on my heart, and to be honest with you, uh, you know me, I like to cover a bunch of verses. And I had 21 verses I was going to just break down today and talk about. I hope we get through eight today. The Lord just poured it out on me. So I feel this message is probably one of the most important that I will ever preach. Are we saved by faith alone? Everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what does that mean? Uh, there, there, I want you to understand, and what's got me a lot convicted about this as I research this and, and look through that, there seems to be a large following of those who teach. I mean, great people that are called great theologians. They're on TV. They have mega churches and all the rest. They have great followings that, that teach that salvation is more than faith alone in Christ alone. On the surface, uh, if you listen to them, they appear to believe just like you and I believe. Uh, they teach just like you and I believe. Uh, that, that salvation is only through Christ and His work on the cross. But then they don't stop there. They add a little more and they say the way of salvation by saying, uh, uh, they say there's more to the way of salvation by saying believing in Christ means a whole lot more than just faith. Hmm. Now, put on your thinking caps now. I want you to get this and understand because this is probably going to be a three-week sermon. I'll give you a break between the, all right? But it's probably going to take me three weeks to cover this one sermon. And it is very important. If you come today, please come the next two weeks. 
it's that important that you understand salvation and all there is to it and that you understand it clearly first for you and so you can tell others here's what one of one of these great theologians and I quote saving faith is no is no simple thing it has many dimensions believing on the lord jesus is a massive command it contains hundreds of other things Unless we see this, the array of conditions for salvation in the New Testament will be utterly perplexing. I find what's utterly perplexing is his statement. He's saying that, oh, we can have faith in Jesus Christ, but there's way more to it than that. You've got to stand and understand all of what salvation is about to be truly saved. And by the way, him and several of these others don't understand that you're true. Don't know, they'll make a claim that you don't know if you're truly saved until you die and go to heaven. Mm. We'll talk about it some more. We'll talk about these thoughts. They use terms like enduring faith, saving faith. Final salvation. We'll talk about what those mean. They use scripture uh, to back up what they're saying. And, and they use scripture like we'll be in John chapter 3 today. And if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. In the new Bibles it's page 1639. How about that? Oh, new Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you've got a new Bible turn to page 1639. And we'll be looking at John chapter 3. But the John's gospel is, the, is John's gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And John lays out several scenarios there of people uh, who come to Christ. Christ gives them the gospel, gives them the truth of his word. But they walk away unbelieving. And these preachers will use those verses. They hone in on these verses. Uh, they use uh, John 2, 23 through 24. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the, in the feast day, many believed his name when they saw the miracles he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. See, they say that, oh, they believed his name. Jesus said, I got nothing to do with you. It's almost like he said, Lord, Lord. But he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. They use that and say, that's what's happening. They didn't have enduring faith. They didn't have saving faith. Uh, they, they didn't have final salvation. That's not true, people, just so you know. I'll talk about it some more. But that's some verse. Actually, what's happening there, and it, it shows it in the verses there, they came to Jesus because of the miracles. They came to Jesus because of the grand things he was doing. You've got to put it in context. They're taking the scripture out of context. Who John is talking about is the, the nation of Israel, the Jews. Remember when Jesus came, they were looking for a Messiah. Not one to die on the cross for their sins. They were looking for one to come and to save Israel, defeat the enemy, and restore Israel as a kingdom. 
That's the context of what John is talking about when he's referring here. Another one, it says, now the Jews feast, this is John 7, 2 through 5. Now the Jews feast of the tabernacle was at hand. And I know we're going to John 3, but I'll get there in just a minute. He said that the feast was at hand, his brethren, that was his brothers, his half-brothers. Mary and Joseph had some children, and his half-brothers came to him. Therefore, and said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also must see thy works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh uh, to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world." For neither did his brethren, listen what John says about Jesus' own brothers. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Hmm. Sound like they believed in him. They grew up with him after all. But if you listen, if you look at what they're saying, if you put it in context, they were Jews looking for a Messiah to reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth. And what they were saying was, Jesus, you've got the power. God's given you, the, the Father's given you all authority and power. Look at the miracles you're doing. And, and Jesus was, it was a time of the feast, and Jesus says, I'm staying here right now. My time's not yet. And his brothers rebuke him and sort of make fun of him. Say, How are you going to stay here? You've got to go into the crowds. Chapter 6, he lost a lot of his followers. They left him because he made some statements. So they're saying, if you want followers, you got to go shine. You got to do some miracles in front of them so they'll follow you. And Jesus said, No, my time's not yet. I'll go when the Father tells me to go. That's what's going on there. They didn't believe that he was the savior of the world coming to die for the sins of the world. That's what John's talking about. They didn't believe that. They didn't understand that. They wanted a Messiah to deliver them, to reestablish Israel. John 6, 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. See, throughout the New Testament, there were followers. There were, there were sightseers. There were ones that wanted to come see the miracles of Jesus. Or they wanted to be healed. Or they wanted to be fed. But they had not trusted him as Lord and Savior. That's what he's talking about. That's what Jesus, he says, I'm coming to do the Father's will. What is the Father's will? To die for the sins of the world. These miracles and all this that you are wanting and signs that you're wanting are all a byproduct of the authority that I have. God's given, that's what signs and miracles were for, was to confirm the authority of a person that it came from God. That's why the disciples did miracles. That God was confirming that what he said was going to come to pass. So they were looking for the miracles. They were looking more for the signs. Uh, but they weren't believing him as Messiah. 
So does the Bible teach that eternal life is conditioned on the moment of initial faith? Now you get that? Does the Bible teach that, it, that, that salvation is on the condition of initial faith in Christ, or is it a continual belief throughout one's life? There's where they get that enduring faith. Am I saved the very moment that I understand that I'm a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again in three days, and now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me? I accept him as my substitute, my sacrifice for my sins because I'm a sinner. I can't get to God except through Jesus Christ. I accept that. I believe that I want you to be Lord of my life. And you pray the sinner's prayer. Am I saved then, or is that just the beginning of a process of salvation? That's what they want you to believe. That salvation is a process to be saved. Y'all getting this today? I'm trying to talk slow and clear. But I've got to go because I've got a lot of, lot of information to cover for you that has got to be clear to you. You are saved at the very point that you understand. We'll prove that in just a little bit. Today, I want to help you understand that you have a clear understanding of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Am I saved or not? Uh, to, uh, to first to, to understand all of what salvation means is, is what these would betray. Uh, we must understand there are aspects of salvation. And I know this is a long introduction, but I've got to give it to you so you understand our key verse. There are aspects. There are parts of salvation. Okay? There's justification. These are big words. <laughs> All right, there's sanctification and there's glorification. Three major aspects of salvation. And these want to take all three aspects and say you have to do all three to be saved. Mm. That's stretching it. All three will happen because you are saved. I, I, gotta, I don't want to get this tongue twister out because it's a play on words that they're doing. And I want to make it crystal clear to you. Uh, Jesus did not complicate the gospel. Paul says, I'm not going to frustrate the gospel of Christ. See, this is what the Judaizers do. This Jesus guy, he's okay, but you still got to keep the law. It's an age-old problem. And they're doing it to people today and have large gatherings. Oh, yeah, it's good you prayed the sinner's prayer, but you better do this, 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 and this if you're truly saved. It's a play on words. And a lot of times preachers do that thing because they're trying to motivate people because they don't know how to do it any other way. You know what the best motivation for people is? Is to fully understand what Christ did for you on the cross. And how much God loves you. That is a l lasting motivation. Now I can sit up here and bow, browbeat you all I want to. And put you on a guilt trip all I want to. But it's going to last about as long as this service lasts. 
and you might be a little mad at me and miffed over lunch today, but Monday morning you'll probably forget what I said. But if you fully understand all that Jesus did for you on the cross and fully understand God's love for you and his grace for you, that lasts for eternity. Okay? I know that's a long introduction. Today, we're going to try to understand justification. The first aspect, the first point of salvation. Uh, John is clear in this. In his gospel, he gives illustration of those who saw Jesus uh, but didn't quite know what they should do with him. And so that brings us to John chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, remember that, that's key to understanding the context of this of what he's saying here. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said unto them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We must be born again, Jesus says. Father, as we study your word, Lord, please help me make this clear. Please help us to understand and see the truth of your word today. Lord, there are many who would deceive and are deceived because Satan is the great deceiver. And if he could deceive us in our own salvation, what a great loss that would be. Father, open your word to us and make it just come alive this morning. Speak through me as I share the good news of Jesus Christ and all that you've done for us on the cross and all of your grace and your mercy that you bestowed on us through your Son. Lead us and guide us in these next few minutes, I pray. In Jesus' name. Who was Nicodemus? He was a church person. He was a Pharisee. He knew all the Old Testament. And he didn't just happen to read it. Nicodemus was a teacher. He wasn't just a Pharisee who studied the law. He taught the law. Very knowledgeable of all the Old Testament. Uh, a Pharisee and a teacher. What do you think of Jesus? Rabbi. Teacher. That's what rabbi means. So he comes to the Savior of the world and says, Hey, good teacher, I got a question for you. How do you get such authority? 
How are you such a miracle worker? Why has God given you so much? It only can come from God to do the things you do. We can't even do that. How is it that you do that? Do you see the context of what he's saying here? Is he a believer in Jesus Christ? Not at this point. He's curious of Jesus. He wants to know how he got the power. How he got the authority. He's a good teacher. Not savior. What did he want from Jesus? He wanted to know the, how, how he got the power. How he got the authority. Uh, he wanted more signs. Uh, you, you know, Jesus talked about in Mark 8. He said the Pharisees. Now, and this is what Nicodemus was. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him. Seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. This is what the Pharisees did throughout Jesus' ministry on earth. They tested him and they argued with him. They were looking for another sign. Prove that you're the Messiah. Not the Savior, the Messiah. You've got to have that clear. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. Those who didn't believe. They were looking for one to set up the kingdom on earth. Not to save them from their sins. But that is what the whole Old Testament is about. The one who would die for the sins of the world. He first would come and die. I've got to move on. But listen to what Jesus said as the Pharisees said. He, he, but he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly I say unto you, no sign should be given to this generation. This is what Nicodemus was. They were looking for a Messiah, not a Savior. I think that's probably a lot of the problem with people today. They come to church and they're looking at Jesus as more what he can do for me. More what can you do for me than what you did for me. Is that clear? See, Jesus becomes a ticket for us. Got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. Now bless me, Lord. That's what most people look at Jesus for. He's so much more. That's not what Jesus is about. Uh, see, Jesus saw the heart of Nicodemus. Now, he asked this question, how did, you, uh, uh, how did you come with this authority? What makes you such a good teacher? And did you notice Jesus' response? He didn't even answer him. He jumped right to the heart issue. See, uh, Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knew where he was at. He knew why he was asking the question. He knew what he was seeking was a Messiah, not a Savior. And so Jesus replies back, and, but his reply has nothing to do with the statement. He's like he avoids the statement altogether. And, and he says, Nicodemus, your problem is not looking for a Messiah. Your problem is that you're blind. Yes, you're a teacher in all of Israel. Yes, you may understand uh, the, the scriptures and you may have a head knowledge, but there's no heart knowledge. You've got a condition problem in that you've never been born again. He uses a natural illustration of being born. He said, you must be born again. 
And Nicodemus starts to argue with him. How in the world? Well, there is no way I'm going to enter my mother's womb again. He says. There's no way I can be. But see, Jesus was talking about spiritual problems. He was talking about a heart condition. Nicodemus was worried about a physical condition. That's where Nicodemus was at this time when he talked to Jesus. See, Nicodemus had not yet been born again. Uh, he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And that Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth. But Nicodemus was talking about a physical birth. I think that's a lot of times as us. God's trying to show us spiritual things and we can't get our head out of the sand to understand what he's talking about. A lot of times we're no different than Nicodemus. Now I want to talk about justification today. Uh, the emphasis of the book of John is our justification in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and verses 14 through 21, the whole uh, uh, emphasis is on believing on Jesus Christ. Now, we all know the verse, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, does it say to whoever believes in him and lives a good Christian life? Will that enduring faith, whoever believes in him and goes to church, whoever believes in him and gets baptized, whoever believes in him and their grandmother, grandfather, mom and daddy go to church and we're good, fine Christian people? No, they don't say that. Our justification is in Christ alone, by faith alone, believing in him. Uh, we have that. Uh, the, the, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace, God's grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A lot of times I like to just walk out and, and uh, Jack, here you go. There's a $10 bill. I love you, brother. What did Jack do for that? Nothing. It was a gift. And I've used that sometimes in trying to witness to other people. And you know what they do? Don't, don't, don't act like you're not going to take it. Here's a $10 bill. Nah. I'm good. I didn't, I didn't earn it. Well, come on, Jack, take it. Oh. Jack, please take it. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying to you? Here's my free gift. You can't work for it. You didn't work for it. There's no way you could earn it. No way you could pay for it. I'm going to keep my $10 bill. <laughs> Indian giver, you know? You can't earn it. Salvation is a free gift. You've got to accept it. And like so many people, ah, I don't do that Jesus stuff. I don't have time for that. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So if I have faith in Jesus Christ 
and I endure to the end, or if I have this saving faith, you see where I'm going with this? I faith and, no, there's no faith and. It's faith, period. It's believing, period. You can't add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, hold on. Because next week, I'm going to really blow your minds. We'll talk about the sanctification part of salvation. And we're going to talk about works and faith. <clears throat> and that's all I'm going to say right now, just so you've got to come back to hear what I say. But for today, what I want you to understand is for by grace are you saved through faith. Period. Don't add anything to it. Don't put conditions on it. It's by faith in the one and only who could die and pay for your sins on the cross. That is salvation. Don't stand up there and add something to it. The evidence of our salvation is the witness of the Holy Spirit within. Do you know when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, He sends His Holy Spirit to indwell you. That is the earnest. Uh, and we read that in Romans 8 9. He says, but you, are, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's talking about ones who have believed and trusted Jesus as personal Savior. You're not, you no longer live to the flesh, but you live by the Spirit that lives within you. If indeed the Spirit of God indwells you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. So if there's no Holy Spirit in you to convict you, there's no Holy Spirit in you to give you the desire to know God more. There's no Holy Spirit in you to show you right from wrong. To give you an earning and a desire to know Him and to worship Him. If you don't have that, there's a good chance you may need to do some checking up on your salvation. I didn't say it. Paul said it to the Romans here. If the Spirit of Christ is not, He is none of His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. What he's talking about, a regeneration, a rebirth, being born again. Uh, you, you're born into sin in this physical body. Jesus told Nicodemus, that's okay, but you've got to be born again. He's talking about being born of the Spirit. Uh, having a new birth that comes within you. A new way of thinking. A new identity in Jesus Christ. A new father. Uh, the adoptions. Uh, we are adopted into the family of God. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit through His Spirit whom dwells in you. He's given you a new life. I've lost myself. There I am. The Spirit enters your life at the moment you believe. We see that in Acts 10, and I'm running out of time, so I'll paraphrase. You can look it up later. Acts 10, 43 through 48. Uh, to Him all the prophets witness that through His name... Uh, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. So here's Peter and Silas. They're in prison. 
You remember that the, the, the doors open up, the, the, the shackles come off, and the, the guard wakes up, and he's about to kill himself because he knows all the prisoners are gone. And there's old Peter, or Paul and Silas over there just praising God. So, whoa, 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 guy, why, no need to kill yourself, we're all here. And it convicted the guard so much. He said to them, what must I do to be saved? And he said, well, first you got to go down and be baptized. You got to go to Sunday school and you better read your Bible three times a week. And you better never cuss again. You better never smoke, better drink, better, you know, or go with women who do. How's that go? No, he didn't say that. He said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. (sighs) Plus nothing, minus nothing. He is enough. He is sufficient. Don't add anything to it. Is that clear enough? I almost get it. Ryan, he he know me growing up. He was like, wow, what is this guy doing up here? <laughs> I was always quiet around Ryan. But, but he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at what has happened to him. Uh and while Peter was speaking the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon those that heard, and those of the circumcised who believed were astonished. I got mixed up on my, I knew I shouldn't lift my notes. I'm trying to hurry. There, Acts 10, is some, the, the Peter was preaching, and those who were believing, and the Holy Spirit, they, as they believed, the Holy Spirit, it came and indwelled them, and they, became, they began to show signs of their salvation, just like the Jews did. And, 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 and many, they saw them, the circumcised who believed were astonished, and as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized. They believed right then and were baptized. Baptism has no part of it. It's just a, a personal statement of your faith in him. Ephesians 1.13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto redemption, of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The fact that the whole, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, Jesus says, that's your guarantee that you're a Christian. That's your guarantee that I'm coming back. That's your guarantee that God is going to transform you into the image of his dear son. That is your guarantee. Uh, Here's another, just maybe a better example. Jesus says, you must be born again. 
and to refute some of their things that, well, it's something a little different than, than just that your initial point of faith. Let me ask you, using Jesus' example, when you were born, you became your mother and father's child, right? Or was it after you learned to obey them? Or truly love them? No. The moment you are born, that's your daddy. That's your mama. You're their child. Same way with salvation. Jesus says you must be born again. How are you born again? By faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, you become a child of God. Period. Okay? Good illustration uh, that uh, it's not a, a process as if they'd have you believe. Uh, you are the child no matter, at that moment, no matter what they say. Uh, it says here uh, in Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith. Sons of God through faith. We become His dear children through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, He has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Wherefore we cry, Abba, Father. Sound like to me at the point that I believe and I confess Jesus as my Lord and, and I accept it and I want Him to, to forgive me of my sin. Sounds like to me that I'm saved right then, doesn't it to you? It, it absolutely does. Uh, give you another one. i got to get through this. I want you to understand this. Please bear with me. Please keep focused. What about the thief on the cross? There's three crosses. You remember? Jesus told the one on the right, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. The other rejected him. That the one that Jesus said, You're saved, thy faith has made you whole, did he get baptized? Did he live a good life, a good Christian life, and go to church? Did he have a grandma, grandpa that went to church? Probably not. He believed who Jesus said he was and trusted him. That day he went to heaven with the Lord. They want you to believe it's a process that you've got to work out till you die. <clears throat> These are great theologians. I, I'm almost humbled and scared to even stand up against them. But what they're teaching is not according to God's Word. Being born again or being saved is a one-time event, uh, not a lifelong process. That those who teach enduring faith would have you to believe. I can't say that. I want you to understand this. Here's another thing I want to add to it. Just a few more minutes. I have spoke with several people in my life. And just so you're clear, I'm not adding nothing to the gospel. This is part of next week. 
But if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, well, let me back up. How many of you remember graduating from high school? How many remember your first car? About everybody. You remember being married when you married wedding day? You remember your first child? Absolutely. Never forget that, will you? And I don't think you ought to ever forget the day you bowed your head and asked Jesus to come into your heart. But I have spoke with several people that will say, well, I don't really know. I think I went to church when I was a little kid uh, sometime. I'm not real sure. Brother, sister, if that's your case, please evaluate your situation. Because if you can remember all them other things that were so important to you, there is nothing more important to you than acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You will never forget it. You say, well, Brother Kenny, that's not biblical. Oh, I think it is. Jesus told the Jews all through the Old Testament, remember, 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 remember what I've done for you. Paul went out through his rest of his ministry reminding people of his uh, experience on the road to Damascus. He'll never forget it. And I don't think we would ever forget bowing our head. I remember the day so vividly. It was a green Ford 68 station wagon. And I was in the very back. You remember I had the seats that opened up out of the trunk? I had to climb over two seats. And I remember from that back part of there, I said, Daddy, I want to be saved. He said, come here, boy. <laughs> We're waiting on my grandmother and grandfather outside their home because every Sunday night we went over there for ice cream. That's how much I remember about my salvation. And I remember, I remember crawling over each seat until I got between my father and mother and my daddy made it clear to me what, how much God loved me, how much Jesus died for me on the cross, and that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And I bowed my head and asked Jesus to come into my life. I gave my lifetime. I remember that very vividly. You know what I don't remember much of? Being baptized. You say, oh, Brother Kenny. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know it was at Faith Baptist Church in Pekin, Illinois. I know it was Pastor Sorensen. But I don't remember the color of the walls. I don't know how many steps I went down into the baptismal pool. I don't remember if the water was hot or cold. But I'll never forget the moment I bowed my head. It's Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. People, baptism does not save you. It does not save you. And I'm so concerned about so many people. And I just heard the other night, yeah, I was baptized out there in that little pool right before I got married. Well, hallelujah. When did you get saved? We put so much on that little pool because it's cute and it's out of the woods and all that. And it's a great thing that we should do as a demonstration of our love and our confession of our faith in Him. But people, it don't save you. If all you did is get wet, all you are is wet. And you're on your way to hell. That's the hard truth, people. Please understand that.
It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. I believe you're going to remember. What is the gospel? And I'll close here in just a couple more verses. He said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I dare declare unto you the gospel, which I preached to you, and which you received, and which you stand. I preached it to you, you heard it, you received it, and you stand upon it, by which also you are saved. The gospel in which you are saved. Unless you... uh, no, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, that's what Nicodemus was doing. That's what these other people were doing in John's gospel that came to Jesus and believed for a Messiah, but not a Savior. That's believing in vain that Paul is talking about here. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I received, this is the gospel. If anybody asks you what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is the gospel. Plus nothing, minus nothing. You believe that, you acknowledge your sinner, he died for your sins, he rose again. That is the gospel. According to God's word. And you believe that and trust that. I've already quoted John 3, 16. For whosoever believes in him will not perish. John, uh, how am I saved then? How do I do this? John 10, 9 and 10. If we confess uh, with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not a work not a life of good works or enduring or none of that other stuff. He says, believe and you will be saved. Confess the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession made unto salvation. People, 1 John 5, 13 is there for a reason. He says, I have, these things have I written unto you that you may know. Not hope until the end or endure till the end. And when you die, you stand before the, whoo, I made it. No, he says, I've written, I've given you my word that you may know right here and now that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is justification. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior who came not to set up a Lord, a kingship on earth, but he came to die for my sins on the cross. And I ask him to forgive me my sins. And I confess him as Lord and Savior. In the, ne- in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about five things that the, the Gospel of John tells us that will confirm your salvation. And one of them is confessing Jesus as Lord. An unsaved person will never do it. They'll never talk about the Lord. 
We'll talk about that some more. But that's justification. If I accept that and acknowledge that, you know what? My sins are paid for, and I stand before God the Father justified. Period. Next week, now, we'll talk about what goes on after that. That's sanctification. And this is where they get them all mixed up. And they want to add that to justification. But justification is in and of itself is one act, one time, once and for all. Now your sanctification is a lifelong process until you are glorified and that's glorification. We're going to talk about those next three weeks. Thank you for listening. I hope this is clear. I don't know where you're at today. I hope this helps you to help others if you don't need it. But if you need it and you're sitting here today and you say, well, Brother Kenny, I'm not sure that I've ever bowed my head and confessed him as Lord. I'm not sure God's Holy Spirit dwells within me. If y'all come, the Bible says you could know today. And it's just confess him as Lord. Believing in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't worry about cleaning up. He'll clean you up. Don't worry about getting right. He's going to take, straighten out all your mess. He's going to straighten that out for you in his time and his way. But what I want you to know today is the moment you got saved, if it happened. If it didn't happen, I hope it's today. And it wasn't down here at the baptistry. It wasn't because your mom and daddy went to church. It wasn't because you went to church every Sunday. It's because you confessed him as Lord, believed in your heart that he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. Justification in the eyes of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit right now that you just make this, take these words that I've said, make them crystal clear in our ears. Lord, in all this community that you would speak to people to know the truth of your word, of your love and your grace and your mercy for us, insomuch that you gave your son to die a horrible death in my place. Lord, I can't praise you enough for that. I thank you for the eternal memory of the day that I bowed my head and confessed you as Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every one here in this community, in this church. Lord, today they would know without any shadow of a doubt that you're their Savior. And they want to make you their Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.